0: Hey everyone, Chelsea here. Um, Curtis and I just wanted to add a little preface to this episode. Just given the state of our world right now, this episode is one that we recorded, gosh, a couple months ago now after our trip to New York City. We made it to New York City for a quick little weekend getaway before he left for deployment. And um, this episode reflects on that, but we realize that now it might sound kind of weird to hear people talking about going on a trip or being in New York City in general when it's a really um, scary place right now and a scary time for people. So um, the trip really holds fond memories for us, and we're hoping that our book recommendations can provide escape for you so we're still gonna publish this episode we just wanted to preface it and let you know that this was recorded several weeks ago we are safe we're doing well and just to let you know um, that the some of the content might just sound weird because we're living in such a different reality right now but we hope that it entertains you and distracts you And we can't wait to hear what you think of our book recommendations centered around New York City. So that's all. We love you guys. And uh, here's the episode.
1: Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today, we're sharing our favorite books about our trip to New York City. I'm Curtis.
0: And I'm Chelsea. Here at He Read, She Read, we believe that books are great conversation starters. We publish biweekly episodes on the second and fourth weeks of each month, and sometimes one of those is a book discussion. In May, we'll discuss Say Nothing, a true story of murder and memory by Patrick Raiden Keefe. Make sure you're following us on Instagram for buddy read news and other announcements at he read, she read.
1: You can also get in touch with us via email at he read, she read at gmail.com. And you can find a list of all the books we mentioned in today's episode at he read, she Reminder that if you're enjoying he read, she read, please take a few minutes to write a review on Apple podcasts to help more bookworms find our show. You could also send a link to a friend and share your favorite episode of he read, she read with them. Or post about it on social media and share the podcast in your Instagram stories. All of these things help people find us, get book recommendations, and keep the podcast going.
0: I feel like because we've been recording a few episodes in advance... And I have a really bad cold. And on every episode, it's going to sound like I have a cold for two months straight. (laughs) (laughs) That I just want to mention to listeners that um, hopefully by the time this episode airs, I don't actually still have a cold. If you do,
1: that'd be impressive.
0: (laughs) No, that'd be horrible. Um, This is not the longest cold that ever was. It's just that we're batch recording. So that's why you're like, hmm, Chelsea has sounded really stuffy and sick for uh, like four episodes in a row (laughs) poor thing
1: you are not imagining things folks this is real
0: but i caught that cold because we took a really fun trip to new york city recently
1: which was the best
0: it was amazing we had so much fun i had been to the city once before
1: And I've never been.
0: And you had never been. And I was excited to go with you, but I also didn't know if you would like it, if it would suit you. And it turns out you loved it more than I thought you would, and it just ended up being such a good time.
1: Well, I don't normally like crowds, which is just a factor of my job and not liking people in general. (laughs) Um, But I love public transportation, which is a weird thing that I don't know if people would know that about me, but I think that's a factor of... Going to school in a big city and riding buses and trains and all of those things. So that part of it was fun.
0: It also just makes travel a lot easier. I think when you don't have to drive or I don't have to drive for both of us, that's a stress that's taken out of it.
1: Yes. And I think because we both went to school in Minneapolis, like there's things about being in big cities that we like. I didn't want to be out past 9 (laughs) p.m. Most of the nights (laughs) we were in New York, which is when like most New Yorkers are First Actually getting first out. going out. <laughs> yeah. Um but we did some fun things and you know, I did some grandpa things.
0: Yeah. So so let's hit some of the highlights. So one of the main reasons that we went was that we splurged, totally splurged on Hamilton tickets.
1: Well, there was birthdays, anniversaries, and Christmases all thrown in together because we got really good tickets. Yeah. Um, and I should say we were like we were only like eight rows back and it was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it was amazing.
1: We were trying to figure out, like, when we started listening to that score or that soundtrack was probably in, what, 2015, 2016, so it's been a couple of years. When it
0: first came out. Yeah,
1: but that was probably, what, five years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I remember listening to it when I was in a convoy riding from Germany to Poland and using that to stay awake.
0: Yeah, and uh, we've listened to it on road trips And you're just such a history buff and I'm such a theater nerd that Mm -hmm. it's such a perfect intersection of our interests. And so we've always loved it for that reason. But I just have to say I didn't know what seeing it would be like because there's really not much that you don't get from the soundtrack. There's no dialogue that you're missing when you listen to the soundtrack. You're listening to the whole entire show.
1: I enjoyed the little differences between the... I don't know if if this is the second or the third iteration of the cast. Oh, I think
0: way more than that, even.
1: Whatever it is, they did a great job making it their own show. So I really liked the additions that they made. Um, The guy who's playing Jefferson now and Lafayette. I'm trying to figure out who his name is real quick. Pause, pause, pause. Oh, yeah. So the guy who's playing Jefferson now, uh, James Monroe Englehart. He's phenomenal. Like, I think that was a, a song that I didn't normally like on the soundtrack. Um, when it opens up the second act, is what did I miss from Thomas Jefferson? Mm-hmm. And he put his own little spin on it. That it was, was so, so really good.
0: Yeah, seeing it is a completely different experience. And I I knew that there were certain points where I would probably tear up, but I was emotional throughout the whole. Entire oh, I, show. I was crying the whole thing.
1: <laughs> Espe- like I cried like at weird tear parts.
0: wiping. Curtis was, like, tear-wiping crying the entire show.
1: At the end, specifically, and then oh, yeah. also I cry weirdly at Yorktown. Yeah. Because it's this like, the pride in being like, they did it.
0: Yeah. but Happy cry. Yeah. Um, I thought that the Eliza that we got to see was She was perfection. phenomenal. She was so good. So it, it was really special, and it was the first thing that we did in New York. So it was just the perfect way to kick off the rest of the weekend. And then... For the couple days after that, we were like, do you remember when we saw Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was speak- a lot of fun.
1: Well, then speaking of more tears, you had another emotional experience going through another New York landmark.
0: I did. I cried a little bit when we went to the New York Public Library.
1: <laughs> That's like next level emotional <laughs> nerd when you're like, I'm crying in the middle of the New York Look, Public Library. It's
0: not, it's not just that I love books and libraries. It's that knowledge is so important to me as a teacher and... A lot of the like quotes that they have around that library and the purpose that it serves is informing people and spreading knowledge. And it just feels like that's especially important in today's day and age. So I just get emotional about knowledge and learning.
1: What I liked about the New York Public Library is they had the exhibits on authors who have researched books there. And then-
0: the Oh, po- that was so good.
1: So like for Ron Chernow's- Washington that I've read and talked about on the podcast they had the original 1846 like 10 volume Washington biography in original condition that that he he used to write his biography which is cool stuff
0: okay so highlights from the New York Public Library it was really fun to see Patience and Fortitude those are the two stone lions out front and obviously the reading room was spectacular but that exhibit I think they called it like made at the New York Public Library. Mm-hmm. That exhibit showing books of all different genres and a diverse array of authors that those authors sat in that library and studied and had special keys to special rooms that unlocked special <laughs> books for them to research was so fascinating. So that was a uh, special highlight that was a surprise to me that i didn't realize i would get so much out of that exhibit that was in there also the room with all of the portraits
1: yeah where we that decided cool. that when we go back to new york city we're gonna just allocate some time to go read and we that just room. need to
0: go sit and read in the new york public library i'm trying to think of some other highlights so we went to there were three bookstores that we really wanted to hit Books um, Are Magic. Books Are Magic in Brooklyn. Green Light Bookstore in Brooklyn, which Allie from the SSR podcast recommended to us. And, of course, The Strand.
1: We did Books Are Magic first. Yes. And, you know, took pictures in front of the mural, which means I think we're official, like, books to grammar You now. have
0: to. Yeah,
1: we're, we're official. Um, the Strand was exceptional. And it's
0: overwhelming.
1: Yeah, there was... The amount of quality used books that they had was surprising, but then also the new selections were also very good.
0: I like the Rare Book Room the best at the Strand.
1: I think the problem that we had in a lot of the bookstores is we were there in the in-between season where it was uncommonly warm in New York, but all the bookstores were hot.
0: It was literally just uncomfortable. This is like a really petty thing to complain about when we got to go to these amazing bookstores, but we didn't want to spend too much time browsing because it was like uncomfortable. You've got your winter jacket with you and the heat is cranked up. And in other words, we're saying go in summer and browse in the air conditioning. (laughs) If you plan a trip to New York for the bookstores.
1: Yeah. When we go back, we'll just have to factor that in. I
0: wasn't uncomfortable in books are magic. They had the door open. People were in and out pretty frequently getting the cool air in and That was just my favorite, hands down, for the selection. Mm -hmm. That was definitely my favorite of the bookstores that we visited. That one I felt the
1: most comfortable browsing and actually took the time to go through everything.
0: It was indeed magical. I loved it. And then I think that was about it for bookish stuff that we did. Um, We ate a lot of really good food, Mm -hmm. walked around a lot. And then we also went to a live taping of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert.
1: Loved that not really book related. Well, actually book related in the sense that
0: <laughs> there's Ste- a Q&A at the beginning. And
1: Stephen Colbert is a well-known Tolkien head, so the question that was the first question asked to him was if you were running the new Amazon Prime Lord of the Rings series which part of the Cimmerillion would you base it on? And he just goes on for about...
0: It was a real long answer. He probably talked for like four minutes and half the audience do note.
1: (laughs) The best part of the night for me was when that rant was going on. Like, I like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, but I haven't read the Cimmerillion. I'm not on his level of obsessed. I made eye contact with John Baptiste, who is the band director, and he was looking just
0: bored out of his mind yes. he's used to Steven going on and on about Lord of the Rings obviously. it was the epitome
1: of like a spouse who's heard a story 25 <laughs> times at every party and he and I just looked at each other and rolled our eyes and it was enjoyable
0: magical moment yeah. that it was really fun so obviously like this is this is a hobby podcast it's nowhere near the level of a live TV production or anything but producing does go into this show we edit the episodes for a narrative arc and so I am fascinated by the process of editing so one of the fun parts for me was just the behind the scenes stuff and learning how it all works and then seeing the episode afterwards and how it turned out and what they cut compared to what we heard because James Taylor was one of the featured guests and loved listening to him by the way sweet old man and he And Steven talked for a good 35 minutes or so. But that had to be cut down to like a six-minute interview. And so it was really interesting hearing the full thing and then seeing which points they chose to pull out of that for audience consumption. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. And just, you know, the nerdy learner part of me was fascinated by that whole process. Yeah, And it was just fun. It was just a fun thing that you – can't do everywhere else and um for people wondering or planning a trip that's free. Um you go online and you just sign up for tickets. Sometimes there's a wait list and then if you do get tickets they'll email you and you show up at a certain time and it's free to get in. So that's uh I would highly recommend it if you like those shows if you go to New York City and you have the time to do that. It's a great free experience
1: mm-hmm. i think the whole first half of this show has just turned into a lifestyle podcast about how why to, not about how to experience new york city
0: why not we're <laughs> we're nowhere near experts but i do think we've picked up some helpful tricks along the way for navigating new cities and making the most of our time uh one thing this is my last tip and then we'll move on to book stuff but something that was really helpful is we took all of the sort of landmarks and bookstores and restaurants and things that we wanted to see and do and you save them in a list on google maps and it kind of drops a pin everywhere And then you can just click on that list and easily see where everything is in relation to one another. Mm -hmm. So then, especially with a city like New York, where there are different neighborhoods and it can really take a long time to get from one place to the other, you can plan your days around like the clusters of things that you want to do.
1: You are an excellent navigator, by the way.
0: Thank you. That's like my my secret skill. (laughs) Everybody has a secret skill, right?
1: Okay, we want to get into some book reviews, what we've been reading lately?
0: Yes, I would love to hear about what you're reading.
1: Um, Something that we didn't see in New York City, because I wanted to wait until I finished this book, um, was to go to the 9-11 memorial. And the book related to that is The Only Plane in the Sky by Garrett Graff. So I hadn't read this when it initially came out last year, um, and I'm listening to it on audiobook uh, right now, special thanks to Libro.fm. And it's an oral history of 9-11, so it covers multiple eyewitness accounts. The audiobook version has over 45 actors. And it's honestly an emotional roller coaster experience. And stories that I, some of them I knew before, some of them I didn't. You'll have multiple interviews and in different characters acting out people that are stuck on like the 50th floor and how they got down and survived how they there's tornadoes that were going through the staircases as these firemen are trying to get people out. And two stories that I really wanted to highlight and why I'm glad we didn't go to the 9-11 memorial until after I read this book is because I want to go and specifically find these people and their names um, because of the impact that they had. Um, One of them is Rick Rescorla, who if you've ever read We Were Soldiers once and young uh, by Hal Moore... Uh, which was turned into the movie with Mel Gibson. He was a army officer in Vietnam, became the head of security for Morgan Stanley, and is credited with saving hundreds, uh, almost a thousand lives of people in Morgan Stanley uh, because he just directed the escape efforts and to get everybody out. He called his wife when it happened and was saying, look, I just got to keep getting my people out, got to keep getting my people out. And he didn't make it out himself. And there's so many of those stories where people just were getting people out. There's pictures of him on a bullhorn directing all of the staff of Morgan Stanley to get out. And the last thing that people saw of him, he was, he was going back up the stairs to try to get more people. And he's a true hero and an amazing person. And the other person that I would like to find is uh, John O'Neill, who was a former FBI agent who was in charge of the original 1993, attack on the World Trade Center, started investigating Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda and was the kind of first person in federal law enforcement that was like, hey, this guy is going to do something. He was uh, a big part of the Looming Tower, which I think I've talked about before and haven't read yet, but there also was a 10-part series on Hulu. So he became the head of security for the World Trade Center like three weeks before 9-11 and then died on the... 49th floor of the South Tower as he was going back up the stairs to try to get more people out. Wow. So it's an emotional story um, and you get like accounts from either the North Tower, the South Tower, the Pentagon, Flight 93. There are actual parts of the audiobook that take recordings from the airplanes like the stewardesses that would call um, back to the towers. Oh, not the... World Trade Center towers but like the airport towers and those recordings are in the audiobook and you just feel that closeness and that connection to the story and it's it's emotional so if you're somebody that wouldn't want that level of experience
0: me (laughs) I don't I want to read this book but I we have a hardcover copy thanks to Avid Reader Press and I just know that the audio would be too much for me to handle
1: yeah listening to those portions and knowing how you react and like the amount of empathy that you have, I would say just read the hardcover. But for people that want to experience that, the audiobook is phenomenal. So that's my recommendation and my review.
0: I am glad that we saved the museum and monument for another time. It, it didn't really fit the vibe of our trip. <laughs> it's not a real like romantic getaway destination. No. But also I think that reading this book will make a much bigger impact when we actually do make it there. Agreed. My reading review <laughs> takes a significant turn away from the uh sad nonfiction pick that you've got there, Curtis. <laughs> I am going to review What a Difference a Duke Makes by Lenora Bell. And uh if you listened to our discussion of the Duchess deal recently I recommended a bunch of romance books at the end of that episode, but this one I read several weeks ago and just wanted to make a point to review it specifically here. So this one is really fun. If you liked the sass and the wit of Tessa Dare, I think that you'll like Lenora Bell. In this specific book, it's like Mary Poppins plus Jane Eyre. Interesting. Yes, interesting combo. There are a lot of nods to Jane Eyre, but it's like the light fun of Mary Poppins. And there are references to both throughout. So it's really fun. Um, Edgar Rochester, there's your first Jane Eyre reference, is one of the wealthiest, most powerful dukes in England, but he's raising these twins alone. Um, They were sent to him after their... Mother left, and he is having a really hard time finding a governess who can handle the children. It's very like Sound of Music.
1: Yeah, I'm getting those vibes. They've
0: tortured the governesses and they've all left. But they haven't met Miss Mary Perkins. She had a very Jane Eyre upbringing, was, you know, orphaned herself, and was in a really bad sort of upbringing situation but she's incredibly resilient and she's learned a lot about how to connect and build relationships with people and you know what children want which is just to be loved and noticed so she comes in and she is able to handle the children really well but their father on the other hand (laughs) he's a little harder to handle of course and of course they fall in love and um it's tricky with these governess and duke romances because uh it can get a little you know towards the crossing the line of you know employer employee relationship Mm -hmm. but lenora bell wrote it really well a lot of edgar's Reservations come from his awareness of the power dynamic between him and Mari. And um, I don't know if I said her name correctly before. It's Mari, like Starry. They say that a lot in the book. Anyway, (laughs) um, he's very aware of the power dynamic, and so he really doesn't want to get involved in a relationship with her knowing. You know, his father was always sort of like sleeping with the servants and he just didn't doesn't want to be that guy. But Mari's really persistent and insists that she is totally down for making out with him. And so (laughs) the consent is really well written in this book. And it's just a sweet relationship. Um, Kids aren't always my favorite in romance novels. Yeah, they don't really belong. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they're just plot devices or they seem out of place. But in this one specifically, the kids are really funny and charming and actually work really well as part of the family. And so I just wanted to recommend it here shortly after we did the Duchess Steel episode, because I just think it's a great series to turn to if you've been reading Tessa Dare.
1: We often recommend audiobooks on this podcast because that's one of our favorite ways to read while we walk the dog, do dishes or work on a puzzle on the kitchen table. Most of our audiobooks come directly from our favorite local bookstores. Thanks to LibroFM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite indie bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including new releases, current bestsellers, and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as Audible, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. To get started, all you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best local booksellers. Listeners of He, Read, he Read podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. That's three audiobook credits for the price of one. And get this, it's the same price as Audible. Exactly the same price, but with a better mission. We've made the switch to FM and hope you will too. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and enter the promo code H-R-S-R or go through the link in our show notes. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores.
0: Let's move on to our book recommendations segment. These all focus on New York City. We thought that we would just really stick with the theme this episode. And so um, all of my books not only are set in New York City, but the city is like a really big part of the book. What about you? Uh,
1: so because I had a nonfiction book that I already talked about set in New York City, I'm going to throw a fiction book in the middle and then wrap it up with some more nonfiction at the end. So the first book that I'll talk about is Takedown by Brad Thor, which is probably in my top three of thriller books all time. It's my favorite Scott Harvath book, um, which is his probably 15 book series that he's still writing. So this, it takes place in New York City over July 4th weekend where there's a conference for former paramilitary and law enforcement and secret squirrel people and
0: secret squirrel people
1: that's what you call them <laughs> um so Scott Harvath and some other uh people from Army's Delta Force and other
0: people the secret squirrels
1: yeah they're in New York City and It's July 4th weekend, terrorists decide that they're going to execute an attack on all the bridges and tunnels leading into and out of Manhattan, and they're all destroyed simultaneously. So that part I really like because it's a coordinated thing, and he's got to try to solve the puzzle, figure out what's going on, what's the second layer underneath the obvious. So while all the law enforcement people are concerned with search and rescue and getting people off the island, there's also foreign Special operatives that are trying to go to a secret prison that's in Manhattan and break out one of their people. So he finds out about it, has to go stop him. It's edge of your seat, short chapters, speedy through, and the fact that it takes place in Manhattan and a place that we now have been to. I'm interested to reread it just to see if there's landmarks and things that I would have a better understanding of than when I read it probably ten years ago. Now
0: that you've actually been on the New York subways,
1: exactly the the congested nature of the city and after it's been under attack especially is a big factor in the story and you got to navigate through the streets there's smoke there's chaos and normally with scott harvath that, that chaos is happening on foreign soil and the fact that it's on u.s soil makes it a little bit different so that be- sounds good between him and uh i always I talk about vince flynn with the mitch Rapp book series those are my favorite uh like counterterrorism thriller books that I grew up on. How about you? What's your first one?
0: So I am a big fan of the coming of age girl goes to New York grows up, gets glamorous kind of story. (laughs) And I've loved those books ever since I was like in middle school. So I absolutely adored city of girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, I think it was the hot book of the summer last year. And It's, the structure is a little bit strange and some people had trouble with that, but I was honestly just so happy with the sort of witty dialogue and the New York setting that I just didn't even care. So, um, our main character is looking back on her youth and her coming of age She is 19 years old in 1940, and she's been kicked out of college, so her parents send her to Manhattan to live with her Aunt Peg. Aunt Peg owns a crumbling theater, the Lily Playhouse, and so Vivian gets a crash course in showgirls and sex and theater and, you know, all of the fun stuff to get into trouble Get into trouble with in New York City. And so she just sort of gets this taste of freedom. Um, Something happens that causes her to go back home and she just has sort of a crisis. But of course, she ends up back in New York City. And I just really loved her voice and the sort of love letter to New York City that this was. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I read it in just a few days and gobbled it up. So That's City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. If you need something that's just sort of glamorous and fun and sexy.
1: All right, I'm back on the nonfiction train. Okay. So the next one I'm going to talk about is The Great Bridge by David McCullough. So David McCullough is well known as being the author of John Adams that won the Pulitzer Prize. And he's won two Pulitzer Prizes, actually, and two National Book Awards. He's a big deal in the nonfiction circles. And... This story covers the building of the Brooklyn Bridge, so it talks about the concept of designing the bridge that's going to connect Manhattan to Brooklyn, the 14 years that it takes to build the bridge, and then kind of how it has sustained into the 21st century, because to me, I don't understand a lot of the stuff when it comes to like bridge building and all those, but I'm interested in the design and the kind of process that it takes for that stuff to come to fruition, and then the obstacles that people overcome in order to get these things achieved. Because I don't understand how it all even still works. To me, that's a marvel. Like the same with the Golden Gate Bridge. I don't know how that works. And people will pop up on and be like, it's suspension. I don't know how that works.
0: (laughs) You don't need to. You're not an engineer. But you love logistics and you love problem solving. I
1: think that's the part of it that I like is it's a historic bridge, it's a monumental achievement, but I like the backstory of it being like, this is how it was designed, this is what they had to overcome in order to make it happen.
0: We unfortunately did not get to walk the Brooklyn Bridge. It was raining on the day that we had planned to do it, and the day that it just like worked with our, our Google Maps plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have walked the Brooklyn Bridge before, when I visited a friend in New York City and it's really fun but maybe you'll read the book and then when we go back we'll just go visit the things that we've read books about.
1: I'll regale you with facts.
0: Oh can't wait. (laughs) Regale me please. All right. Is that too dirty for the podcast? (laughs) Okay, my second book is Rules of Civility by Amor Tolles, and this is one of my favorite books of all time. So it's Jazz Age, New York City, 1937. We have a 25-year-old in a Greenwich Village jazz bar. She and her roommate are, you know, trying to stretch a dollar on drinks, and someone handsome comes up to her, and this single encounter just sparks a whole journey for her up into upper New York society and the glitzy glamorous side of life and it requires her to really rely on her logical thinking and her wit and resilience in a way that you know living in a boarding house prepared her for in in a strange way so um It's, uh, I don't even know how to describe it except for that. I think that's all you need to know going into it. Again, like City of Girls, if you want a really glamorous story, this one, I think, is maybe, maybe more literary than City of Girls in the sense that there are perhaps some deeper themes to dig into and just a very Gatsby-esque story. I love this specific time period as it pertains to New York, and it's just such a good book. It's been a really long time since I've read it. I'm due for a reread, but yeah, I just absolutely, absolutely love this one. This is one that's been on, you know, I don't keep books very much. No. Like, I don't keep very many books for myself. This is one that's been on my bookshelf for probably a decade. That's, that's a long time for me to keep a book. That's high praise. What is your third book for us?
1: Third and final, more nonfiction. Uh, it's The First Tycoon by TJ Stiles. So this book I came across when my parents were visiting. And we were, of course, taking them to a bookstore, as we do. My dad is not a big reader, uh, but he has been been in business his whole life and we were going through the biographies and he popped this one out and was like, "Oh, this is really good. I should read this." But then he put it back and I decided that, "Oh, I'm just going to buy that and read it and then give it to him mm-hmm. later." And it talks about the life of Cornelius Vanderbilt, who was a businessman who kind of reinvented the transportation industry multiple times. So he started out in steamboats, really got really good at that in the inland waters. Uh, grew up and did his business in Staten Island and Manhattan, so he's big in New York. And then he takes all of his money and goes right into railroads. So he's part of these big industries. He's becomes one of the richest men in American history, adjusted for dollars today. He's worth over $200 billion and starts Vanderbilt University, which is named after him in Nashville. And just his character and charisma he's not it's kind of typical of the people of that era so like the Carnegie's the
0: Gilded Age yeah. New York another one of my favorite time periods to learn about
1: so he like he's known as a rascal and he's combative and he's cunning and gets what he wants and I, I kind of just like the changing nature of how he's using these new technologies to make his businesses work and that's kind of how you get on the forefront of being one of the richest men in America is you see something that works like my grandma always says you got to invent something I'm like I don't know what <laughs> I, that doesn't help me grandma
0: okay grandma yeah, what should I invent
1: doesn't really help me but if you're able to get in on the ground floor of something like this it explains how he's able to be worth over 200 billion dollars so he just made got in on the right industries and made good decisions but then he was a rascal I like rascals
0: <laughs> that should be a fun read. My uh, third book is The Autobiography of Malcolm X, which, again, one of my favorite books of all time. And I went into this book knowing that it would be about his life and his journey, but I didn't realize that there would be so much rich historical detail and especially detail about New York City. So I recommend this book to everybody. I just think that it's like it should be on syllabi everywhere. But not only should you read it for his incredible story and for the importance of him as an iconic figure, but also it's a really enjoyable read for all of the rich historical detail in his life and the tone is really conversational mostly because um he is actually he was dictating this entire book to Alex Haley and then Alex Haley like wrote it and put it together so it's Malcolm X's autobiography by Alex Haley as told by Malcolm X so it's it's conversational because he was just telling these stories to Alex Haley so really fascinating Autobiography. Highly recommend it to everybody. But something that I I didn't realize going in was that there would be all of this amazing historical detail and details of a different time in New York City. Uh, backing off of that, um, another time period of New York City that I'm really fascinated by and enjoy reading books set in or written in is the Harlem Renaissance. And so a few favorite authors, Langston Hughes is one of my favorite authors and poets. I love to teach his work. I love to read it. So if you haven't read any of his stuff, I highly recommend picking that up for some New York City flavor. Um, Nella Larson is another Harlem Renaissance author. I have her book Passing on my to-be-read list. And I was, I am kicking myself for not picking this up while we were in New York City because I was seeing it in paperback everywhere, but The Street by Ann Petrie is the first novel by an African-American woman to sell more than a million copies, and that one is also set in New York City, and that's also on my to-be-read list. So those are just a few extra New York City recommendations for you. Uh, let's talk about recommendations of the week. I am looking at the sh- uh, show outline here and i've never heard of yours so i'm super curious to hear about it what's your recommendation
1: okay so i was scanning my podcast app trying to find something new now that you know we've gotten a couple of months without football because normally during the football season that's a big part of my podcasting listening so something that i found in the top audio section and started listening to and i've been liking is philosophize this Uh, with the host Stephen West. So what I like about it is it covers topics in philosophy that you don't really, I don't don't wanna say it's dumbed down, but it's more accessible than if you're in like a classroom or trying to pick up a primary source and read it. So it goes all the way back to the beginnings of your Plato's, your Aristotle's, the Socrates, and then it continues along chronologically. So if there's a specific portion a philosophy or a author that you're interested in, you can go right to that person. Like if it's Machiavelli, you can go listen to the Machiavelli episode or um, like Nitschke or something like that. Did I say him right?
0: I think it's Nietzsche.
1: Nietzsche? This, is this going to be the new Weapons?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but that's kind of what I like it is. It's user-friendly. You can find topics that you're interested in. You don't have to listen to every single episode if you're not into that. But for somebody like me who's interested in philosophy somewhat and I like the historical flow of different people's thinking and how that works, it's good to pick and choose and find things so that I can be more aware. And then if there's something that I like, I can actually go read the primary source later.
0: And then you can go back and rewatch The Good Place from the beginning and you'll understand all of Chidi's <laughs> philosophy references. I know, I know who that is now. Yeah.
1: I haven't gotten into the episode yet about the trolley problem, but I'm sure it's out there.
0: You can find all the pronunciations for everybody on The Good Place, too. I think it's, some people say Nietzsche. So I I don't know what the correct one is. But I think we I can went full Green
1: Bay Packers and just said Nitschke. Yeah, you did.
0: <laughs> Understandable. <laughs>
1: So you have a podcast as well that you're going to I like, do. Right?
0: I've been listening to The Good List by Tish Oxenreiter lately. So Tish's good list uh, revolves around four different things. And she does this herself each week and encourages you to sort of track your good list of these four things each week, each month, each quarter. Uh, it's either art, an idea, a thing, or a habit. So the good list is art that you are enjoying. It doesn't have to be like a work of art, a painting, you know, so to speak. It could be a TV show or a podcast basically is something that someone is creating that you're enjoying. The idea could be something that you're just thinking about. It could be a philosophy idea <laughs> um, or it could just be an idea that uh, for something that you want to do in the future. A thing is like a physical object, so like... Uh, a new lotion that I just bought might be my thing that's on my good list. And what was the other one? Oh, a habit. So something that you're consistently doing that's making your life better. All of those things are on the good list. So each of her weekly episodes focuses on one aspect of that. So one episode might be on something around art that she's enjoying. One episode might be on a habit. So, so far I've listened to an episode about journaling uh and an episode about storytelling so it's very conversational they're pretty short episodes I think they're like 15 or 20 minutes and it's just a good reminder to enjoy the simple things of life to pay attention to and be grateful for the small things around you, and I like the format of The Good List. I'm someone who always wants to journal, but I don't do well without a structure. So I like podcasts like The Good List or The Next Straight Thing where these wise women give me a structure for reflection and journaling and thinking and looking at the world to just sort of like help me frame that journaling time or frame that reflection time in my week. So I'm really enjoying The Good List podcast by Tish Oxenreiter. That sums it up for today with our New York City reading recommendations and our little wrap-up of our trip. Our upcoming buddy read is Say Nothing and it is about the troubles in ireland and murder and it sounds really really good for news and announcements you can connect with us on social media you can also email us we're on twitter and instagram at he read she read and our email is he read she read podcast at gmail.com you can find show notes that include every book we mentioned in this episode at he under podcast A big thank you goes out to our favorite audiobook service, Libro.fm, for sponsoring this episode and providing us with amazing audiobooks to listen to. Thank you all for listening, and remember, the couple that reads together
1: knows that it's okay to have an emotional response to the New York Public Library.
0: 100% okay.